Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Welcome to the NZ Tech Podcast. This is episode number 43. In the studio is... Skip Parker. Manning the desk and watching Brad um, play with his Kindle Fire. And myself, Paul Spain. Now, we have a uh, an interesting lineup tonight. Uh, first up, we will be talking to John Greenhoff from Crown Fibre Holdings to give us some insights into ultra-fast broadband activities here in New Zealand. Brad, who is usually with us in the studio, is across in Seattle this week. So we'll be hearing from Brad with some insights and updates on what's happening over there in the US, including uh, the fun that he had with uh, the Black Friday sales and Cyber Monday bargains that he picked up, along with um, his insights on playing with a Kindle Fire and a few other bits and pieces. So should be a good show. Right, well, let's get into it. Uh, John, very nice to have you here in the studio with us. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming along. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. Excellent. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where do you fit into the, the picture at Crown Fibre? What's your role? And what is, uh, what is Crown Fibre's role within the ultra-fast broadband picture here in New Zealand? Okay, well, Crown Fibre has been set up to manage the spend of the government's money. So the one and a half or $1.35 billion that the government's putting into here. It's going out to four separate companies who are building the fibre network for New Zealand. There's Chorus, which is building about 70%. Then the rest is split up between Enable, who's looking after Christchurch, uh, the Well Networks, who's uh, ultra-fast broadband limited, and they're looking after Hamilton, Tauranga, Hawara, New Plymouth, Whanganui, Tokoroa. Then we have... Whangarei LFC who's looking after the northern area and so I'm the CTO and what I'm trying to do is make sure that the network looks the same throughout the country, has the same standards, has the same product sitting on there, works the same, operates the same, has the same SLAs and is nationally consistent and all built to a high standard and is going to last for 30 or 40 years into the future. Excellent, excellent. So so I guess you know from an end user point of view, does that mean that our listeners can expect a similar result wherever they are in the in the country? In theory, internet providers would be able to, if they chose to, deliver a um, a similar offering right across the country once services sort of rolled out. Very much so. So the the intent here is to have a very much standard set of services. It's also important not to restrict innovation. So we're saying there's a set of what we call the reference offers. They go out saying things like you've got to offer a 30 meg slash 10 megabit service everywhere throughout the country and it's got to have this much committed information rate, this much extended information rate to be delivered under these terms. And those go standard throughout the country. Uh, that doesn't stop these companies innovating, generating new products, but we think there has to be a standard set of products which go out nationwide and look the same to all service providers. Okay, that's good. So can you give us a bit of a, an overview of what's actually required to get uh, to get the fibre rolled out into the you know streets, a lot of our listeners will be interested in how they can get it into their homes and what that process is. What what does it look like? Yeah, there's um, <clears throat> there's about three parts to really building this fibre network. Uh, first of all, is building a <clears throat> central office facility. Central offices have to be within about fifteen kilometres of a of a home. So it's a rule of thumb: your central office won't be more than fifteen k from a home. When that's built, there's a lot of civil works to do to get the fibre through the streets. That's normally done through drilling and through trenching, standard civil works. That's the hard part. That's where the real cost is because that's where you have to dig up streets, you have to get permission from councils, you have to do traffic management work. And just getting all these people to do that just costs a lot of money. And that's where the, the real expense is. 
And so when we're digging these trenches, we're making sure putting duct in there because we're trying to make sure there's enough infrastructure to last for, for sort of 30 to 50 years to be a, a useful infrastructure. Uh, some of this is going up on aerial construction. Aerial's a little bit cheaper to do. It's uh, different to running Cat, cat V in that and with the Cat V you see great big ugly things strung on power poles. Here the fibres are quite small so they sit in the power line, can't actually tell they're there. Now you can only run out for aerial, of course, where councils permit that as an activity. Once, and that would be where there's existing power already running, wouldn't it? Typically, yes. I don't, yeah. I've never heard of anyone wanting to put up new poles yeah. or even being allowed <laughs> to put up new poles. So that's, that's, Mostly it's people fighting against that and saying everything has to go underground. And in fact, the majority of our construction is underground. Right. I don't know the exact percentage. I think it's around 7 to 80% of the construction will be, will, will be underground, mm. perhaps higher. And the... Ducting itself is quite interesting because instead of using a conventional duct, we're using an air-blown fibre system. What that means is we're putting a uh, tube into everyone's house. So rather than think of a duct, think it was a really small tube, probably around two or three mil, seven mil into into each house. And when someone asks for fibre, we actually blow the fibre through the tube. That saves on having a lot of civil works, and just means it's really easy to get fibre into the home for more fibres. Blow another fibre down the down the tube. Wow, that's cool. Uh, and that's, so you can blow a fibre down about two kilometres, so I thought was, was, was really quite good. Really? Yeah. So, uh, in the house itself, so when someone orders a fibre, the, the network we built past the house, when someone says, oh, I want fibre, please, then the construction team rocks up. They've got a service level agreement which says they have to build within four days of the request coming in. And they, uh, prob- they could, they've got various ways they can get to your house. They can drill, go overhead, uh, dig a trench, nail things onto a fence line uh, to get into the house. When they get into the into the house, typically they, they will have to put a, it's called an optical network terminator on the house. The optical network terminator just does the optical to electrical conversion and it presents four Ethernet ports, a voice port, and optionally Wi-Fi and RF overlay so TV coax service into the house. The voice service itself can be, the voice port can be wired into your home wiring or not. Uh, once it's there, the retail service provider has the option of providing a residential gateway like they do now for ADSL or just plugging straight into the ONT ports and that's up to, going to be up to the service provider how they do that. Wow, so four days is a, seems like a fairly uh, fairly snappy turnaround. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one that the fibre companies were, were uh, debating vigorously. Yeah, I it's, can imagine. It's... Uh, it's in some, some ways, four days seems quite a long way because you're just trying to get fibre into a home. Uh, but it is found that if the longer you take, the longer you leave, the more people time people have to consider and back away from doing the deal anyway. So right. And if people have requested it and you make an appointment to turn up, then people should turn up and do the do the job. Yep. That's, that's great. So um, I'm thinking that the, the, from looking at the maps and the various things that are online, and we'll, we'll post, some, post some links to those on the NZ Tech Podcast website, um, there are a whole lot of areas that are either g- going to um, be in the sort of the initial, you know, first year or so of uh, of implementations, or f- for instance, with some you know a lot of business premises, there's already fibre running past the door today that will uh, become more affordable, shall we say, with the changes that are that are going on. What's going to be required in those sort of cases, for instance, my uh, business premises. 
I think are within the space. I think they're probably within uh, the chorus network. So what would be the steps in a situation like that to actually get up and up and running? First of all, Chorus and us are building wholesale networks. Mm. So we're not selling to end users. We don't sell directly to a business. Uh, wholesale, the, the retail service providers have to, sell, have to sign up to the network and resell that. That's a service. So we don't set a resale price. We've got wholesale pricing in there. We're also funding the network. We're trying to avoid overbuilding existing infrastructure. In the case of Chorus, they, I think they've already offered their wholesale pricing on their existing network. Okay. So the pricing that they, that the, if you've already got network going past you, then I believe they're offering that network at the wholesale price to the retail service providers. So it really requires a retail service provider to sign up to the service and then provide you service over that. And the pricing will be determined by the retail service provider. So businesses should already, uh, in theory, now be able to start getting access to uh, those sort of new pricing levels as long as their uh, ISP or, or retail service provider, as they're being called, um, has um, you know has taken advantage of those those offerings from the the providers such as Chorus and the other ones around the country. Yes, that's right. So those those things are available from Chorus. They have an extensive fiber network in place at the moment, and. Uh, People can sign up and service providers can, can sign up and offer those services. Great. Now, ultra-fast ultra broadband sounds really good for, you know, there's a, certainly a segment of the market today that are reasonably happy with maybe their performance on ADSL 2+. plus. They might be, you know, quite close to the exchange. Maybe they're using VDSL or something else. What what are this? I guess there must be a, a range of advantages of which speed is, is just one for you know, people to uh, make that make that change from existing infrastructure to connect to the ultra fast uh, broadband network, what what would be the highlights from your perspective? That's really the sixty four million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> One point three five billion dollar question. Uh, there's always a question around why do people want fibre? And if you go back a few years to when anything was introduced, it was why do you want it? I remember when ADSL was first introduced. And we were launching the first products into Extra. And people were saying, well, why do not ADSL? The only advantage people could come up with is that it's on all the time. Saying, well, who wants it fast? Because nothing streams fast enough to take advantage of it. So it's on all the time. That's why people want ADSL. Uh, when iPads came out, I mean, who wanted an iPad? Until it was released, then you wouldn't want to run. Well, I've got one. Uh, what, it, what they did was give you immediacy. And so you, you could get things straight away. And you had ADSL gave you things faster. So... The, how the people used the web and the internet changed. Instead of having to click and wave some download, they were clicking through things much faster, they were consuming more data, they were looking at more video. And the way that people changed, they, they used the web, changed quite a lot, which they hadn't actually foreseen that much. Most people hadn't foreseen. I think it's the same with fibre. I think with fibre what it does is give you symmetry. So it's not just about speed. And speed is always, always limited by distance and latency. I mean, if you're trying to do a connect to the United States, you've just got a standard single session up, you're going to be limited to 2.5, 3 megabits a second anyway, just through latency. So trying to get that 2.5 megabits a second is just fast. It just isn't going to happen over fibre. But what it does do is give you a lot more symmetry in your connections that allows for a lot of different services and different things to happen. For example, remote backup. If you look at hard drives, and Ars Technica did an article on this back in September, I recall where, they're looking at how long it takes to upload a hard drive. 
and it's slower now than it's ever been because hard drives are hard drives keep getting bangled. bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you want to back up your hard drive, it's going to take you several days to do it now. Right. Whereas, yeah. whereas just a few years ago, you could have done it in, in a few hours, uh, even at a much slower speed. And off-site storage is, is very relevant given the earthquakes in Christchurch and that picture that was on the was on the newspaper in Christchurch, some guy walking around with a server in his arm and That's all right. the rubble, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking his server away because that was his business, that's where it was. So that, that's one of the things that's going to happen is that symmetry. And if you look in the in the retail space around things like the Apple iCloud service and, and the fact that you upload stuff onto that and you keep data on the cloud and uh, Dropbox and the box is now 50 gig, just off 50 gig if you sign up by 2nd of December. I'm not promoting I don't have an account. But <laughs> I, I do keep meaning to get uh, get around to signing up for that freebie before it runs out. I couldn't remember when the date was, so thank you for the reminder. <laughs> Yeah, if you look at the amount of capacity in a cloud to load things up to and how how it takes so long to do that over ADSL-type services, and I think you'll see that the behaviour of how people use services such as Facebook, so Hong Kong, for example, since they got fibre in there and got a little more symmetry, Facebook uploads are now 50% of their downloads. So it's quite a shift in how, how people are actually using the services. So I think you'll see uh, quite a lot of that, and... One of the things also to consider is just working from home. See, one of the th- things I mentioned earlier is that in the home you get four Ethernet ports, mm. and those could be sold to different service providers. So I could have a service at home through a internet, and then I could have another port which could be just connect to my work LAN to enable it to work better at home. Right, so that might be a secure connection directly into your office. Yep, a secure yeah. connection directly yeah. into your office just just only that only connects into your into your office Excellent. firewalls, mm. and working at home does require more. Up and down because when you're doing, uh, because you're sending a lot of emails and big attachments and things like that, and you work collaboratively on documents and things, it just does take a lot more bandwidth. So I think that the speed is a factor. That's always the headline thing. I think one of the other considerations too is the is not just the speed, but also the way that this product is being constructed. The products and the way they're being presented are a bit different to ADSL. So for example. We get service level agreements on this. There's commitments around how the layer two network performs. So things like, because it's only a layer two network, we talk about frame delay rather than uh, latency and uh, frame delay variation rather than jitter. But they're they're very tight. So frame mm-hmm. delay up to the place where the retail provider connects is five milliseconds, and frame delay variation is less than one millisecond. So offer and frame loss is uh, less than two percent on the that's on the best efforts service on the on the um, good service. It's much tighter than that. Right. So, so it'll, it'll be better for all sorts of sort of, you know, things from the voice over IP type things, you know, Skype and video, gaming. I mean, it's probably going to have, there's all sorts of things that we might not even think of today that might be impacted by that improved quality of service. Oh, very much so. And also because these... These services go back to a single point of interconnect in each of the candidate areas. So if you take Auckland, all the customers accessible from one point of interconnect. What that means is that the whole of Auckland is suddenly on net to anyone who goes into a single point of interconnect in Auckland. So when you're transmitting video around, you can get all of Auckland without having to pay uh, traffic charges. So if the RSP, if the if ISPs pass it on to the end users through their retail pricing, mm. then it just provides big benefits in the in the in the Fibre products, so it's 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 not just a, the way that just fibre itself. It's also how the products are constructed to work in the in the marketplace. 
Yeah, because that's certainly been an issue. We've you know we've heard that had discussions around you know before the issues with interconnects between various ISPs and so on. So uh, that that sounds really good. Now the technology that's being used in New Zealand is uh, GPON. Is that right? So there's two types of different products offered. One's there's point-to-point services, okay, which is an active Ethernet type service, and there's GPON as well. Yes. Okay. What is what is that? What does that mean? So GPON stands for Gigabit Passive Optical Networking. Uh, it's passive because in the outside plant infrastructure, there's no powered parts. It's all totally passive. Optical optical kit. The only passive parts which require powering are in the central office and in the home. And that makes for a much cheaper network to maintain than, say, an ADSL type network, which has a diesel amp sitting out in the field sometimes. Right. And we're also to see likely to see a much higher reliability than what we have with our ADSL today, where you've got you know boxes in the streets that have to be powered. Uh, you know, you're relying on your yeah, copper between that box and your home and all sorts of things, you get those regular sort of dropouts. We're not likely to see that, are we, going You're not forward? as likely to see it. There's yeah. still going to be faults, like one of the major faults in the copper network is people digging up copper, mm-hmm. and the fibre's still in the street, and people still dig it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true, true. And that's what caused the big outage. I mean, ADSL failures, they, they happen. I don't know if they're that common. Uh, they do happen, and they get fixed reasonably quickly. So when people dig things up, it takes a long time to fix Mm. Well, I've certainly been in in locations where it's very hard just to get really reliable DSL service, even you know, at a good location. Okay, I've got a, a question. So, <laughs> with with DSL services like we've got in places like Sandringham, where there's just a huge number of oversubscribed users in Sandringham's exchange, and the link out of the Sandringham exchange is just saturated on a on a good day. Um, what what sort of what how do we get how do you get past that with the fiber stuff? Are we, are we still taking fiber to a central location, then fiber linking off to another location? Are we still going to see some of that saturation potential? So there's within the fiber network that we're building, you shouldn't see that saturation. So we're delivering a end-to-end SLA to the point of interconnect. That's where the ISP picks up the service, and that is, uh, I said, the frame loss on the best effort service is two percent, which is. So that's, good. that's straight to the ISP? Yeah, and that's the highest frame loss. Uh, and that's measured over five minutes interval. So, and that's to the ISP. So it's, a, it's to the point of interconnect where the ISP can take the service. The ISP has a choice of contending that traffic or not. Right, we, okay. we're not we can't fix the systemic issues in the industry. We can't yeah. increase the traffic internationally. <laughs> we can't, <laughs> yeah. can't make things cheaper than they are. It's just we can just control our network. Okay, so there's still a potential for results may vary between different ISPs, of course. Very much, and I think that's the nature of competition. And yeah, yeah. People can make their choices accordingly. Okay. Good. Um, now, online, there seem to, there's quite a few maps. We've got, you know, Chorus have got maps, and there's um, the New Zealand uh, government sort of broadband map where we can look and get a little bit of a handle on um, where UFB is available now. Again, we'll put some links up onto the website so people can look uh, look that up and see whether their home or whether their office is going to be able to uh, get uh, quick or longer term access uh, to the ultra-fast broadband network. Um, now, the the first lot of that will be will be rolled out by mid two thousand and twelve. Is that right? This sort of the initial. There's been some those initial areas have been announced. Certainly for Chorus, will be will be in place by mid next year. Yes, that's right. We've got quite a lot of build going on. We find that Fong Ray is, is going to be finishing their build by 2014. Oh, that's great. Uh, the 
uh, ultra fast broadband limited in the Hamilton region is going to be f- finishing their build, I think, in 2016 or 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chorus finishes in 2020, but they've got a much bigger job to do, of course. They've got to cover the rest of the country. Right. And I think they've they've released the first lot of maps. There'll be more published next year. And as the build settles down, things will become clearer. Christchurch, of course, was a problem because of the earthquake and where mm. to build and where the green fields are going and where not to build. Uh, but there's progress being made there. We've started building Hallswell and Papua Nui as the first releases, and there's going to be more announced um, fairly shortly. So during next year, you'll see a lot more information released about where things are going and when. Oh, great. Well, I think people will be very keen to, to follow that and keep up to date with when they can get plugged in. Now, what we're hearing around pricing is that at, at a wholesale level, the prices are designed to be such that uh, existing providers of uh, yeah, DSL, existing sort of, uh, home internet services, um, it should be a reasonably easy option for them to choose to offer uh, ultra-fast broadband and to move their existing customers across without their, in theory, being you know, huge changes in pricing. Is, have I picked that right? Yes, we've designed the wholesale pricing to be attractive so that it's uh, slightly cheaper to take up a, a base fibre service than just take up a, a copper plus POTS type service. So if you take the wholesale pricing of fibre, but 30, 30 slash 10, which is 30 megabits one, 10 megabits the other, which is the lowest product that's on offer, mm. that's priced at 37.50 wholesale, and to to residential, and that's uh, that's a fairly attractive price compared to say taking a, a telecom 80 cell copper type tail okay. at the regulated okay. prices. Yep, and we've already seen some pricing. I think we discussed this on an earlier show. Of what what's starting to be offered in uh, in Whangarei, for instance, where the network's already uh, rolling out, and we had a bit of I had a bit of a chat uh, off here with the guys from Uber Group. They've got a, a reasonably good offering there, haven't they? Yes, I think Uber Group's offering a fifty slash fifty service, it's a fifty megabit second symmetrical service for ninety nine dollars, which is pretty good in this market. I think I'm waiting to see how other service providers are going to what they're going to offer and how they're going to package up the services as they come online. Uh, but we're hopeful things will, will look pretty good. Yeah, oh, we're certainly looking forward to uh, to to, uh, to seeing that through and we'll certainly keep the listeners up to date with, with how that works out. For um, those that missed it previously, I've recently moved into an area that will be getting uh, the ultra-fast broadband access in the first half of 2012, so I'll certainly be able to report back. Uh, and we'll keep everyone up to date with uh, with those bits of progress. I think it's the only reason why you moved into that region, wasn't it, to get the fibre? Well, you know, it was a it was a fairly strong <laughs> deciding factor, Skip. <laughs> uh, yep. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much, John, for coming and uh, joining us and and sharing a few uh, insights. We'll probably have some other uh, other questions uh, for you and the and the team at Crown Fibre along the way. So, um, but we we certainly appreciate you um, uh, sharing this info with us tonight. Thank you, Paul, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about fibre again. Excellent. Cheers. Okay, right now we are going to cut across or add into the program Brad Burrows. Good evening, everyone. You're coming to us live and direct from where? I'm live in Seattle, basically. I'm actually sitting in the 19th floor of the Western Hotel. Oh, very nice. Just, Just in case you want to stalk him. Thank you for taking some uh, some time out of your trip to uh, to join into the podcast. We were thinking oh, no. we might miss you this week, so uh, it was an, a nice surprise that you were able to uh, find the time to to join. 
Yeah, the wonders of modern technology and Skype, it's lovely. It certainly is. Now, big. what have been the big highlights of your time there? I, I mean, from here, we've been watching the um, Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. Uh, what's the reality of getting out into some of those stores and, and, uh, and looking out for bargains and, and new bits and pieces? What have you come across? So, yeah, look, I mean, I think the Black Friday is a uh, move to a big online, but that's still a physical going out to shopping centres, whereas the Cyber Monday is all online. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go out on the Friday, the Saturday and the Sunday to check out um, the fries and the best buys. And some of the bargains, I mean, you're talking a 70-inch LCD TV was normally $2,999, and they were selling them for $1,020. Wow. Um, and that was a Sony. That was a Sony. So it wasn't like a, a no-name brand. Um, some I of the can other imagine things, some of those deals sold out pretty quickly. Well, no, they were still available. And I, I kept some of the brochures because I know how much, Paul, you, you like looking at um, the numbers. Um, but just to give you an idea, um, I can get a, I could have, I could still get a um, really nice Asus uh, um, laptop, 4 gig of RAM, 320 gig hard drive with OS, 15.6-inch um, machine for $198 laptop. Wow. We'll have 10, it's, thanks. Yeah, um, you know, it's just incredible <laughs> how cheap some of these things are. So, I mean, I, I was lucky. I've managed to go out and I've, I've got a Kindle Fire while I'm here. Um, I've got a, I've got quite a few Roku's being delivered. Um, some of those are yours. Um, thank you, thank you got, Brad. That's all right. Um, I've got um, some other bits and bobs, which I'll hopefully we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show that we've, I've managed to acquire. But, I mean, just the level when you go to these places, it's it's literally like you have – six seven hundred people in the stores it's just been phenomenal and i'm lucky where i am right now i'm across the road from a large shopping mall in bellevue which has um, a microsoft store and also an apple store and just the volume of people walking out with connect devices not one not two but three connect devices is just i i've never seen it i mean yeah there's money being spent in this country lots of money what's it like in seattle this is sort of the home of microsoft what's it like in terms of you know, how busy is the Apple store? How busy is the Microsoft store? You know, what's that like? So I've been to the Apple store before in Seattle, and it was absolutely jam-packed. Um, the Microsoft store is about twice the size, and I, when I walked into the main mall, I saw this queue of people, and I automatically went, this is going to be the Apple store. It was actually for the Microsoft store. It was so packed it was overflowing and they were actually calling out 30 minute wait times before they were letting people into the store um and it was the it, i have to be honest with you, it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen because you didn't expect it you expect to see that from the apple world and and you've got to remember over here there's we're in seattle there's also a big presence of google there's a big presence of amazon there's boeing and and obviously there's a large presence of microsoft and starbucks but so there are other tech firms here, and there's a lot of startups here as well. And it is, but it was just a weirdest thing to seeing this volume of people gravitate into the Microsoft store. They they really apparently, from what the media are saying on on the news over here, Microsoft sort of won the day with the, a lot of the online offers that they had to go. Oh, very cool. Other sort of tech type things that you've uh, you've seen whilst out and about. Now you mentioned something that. Uh, dear to my heart and my interest in robotics, you saw something uh, flying over with some interesting colours, Brad. Yeah, so this is the freakiest thing, and I, I, please don't take this the wrong way, but I thought of you instantly, um, is that <laughs> is that 
Um, obviously, it was a really clear day today, and I could hear this like what sounded like a, um, a remote control airplane flying overhead. And I looked up, and it was a drone. And I, I went over, and I, I was talking to somebody, and they said they actually have these, um, what are they called? They're called the AR drones, which is the one that we broke in one of the episodes. Well, they've got a large one of these. It's about six foot, uh, six foot in size. It's got four propellers, and it's a police drone that they they got about... I think someone said 10 of these that they fly around the city. So these must be commercial-grade equipment that isn't going to break yeah. like the AR drone that we snapped up pretty, <laughs> no, uh, pretty quickly. No, I hope not. But, I mean, this thing was flying. It's black and white, so it's police colours. It's got cameras on it, and they they were flying it. They fly it around the city to keep an eye on, um, like, security and stuff, and it, re- it obviously sends Wi-Fi signals or some sort of signal back to a home, to the main centre, just like CCTV, but they use drones over here, um, which is getting very Terminator Skynet-like at the moment, if you ask me. Um, so that was kind of a freaky experience. I, I just... Just yeah, it's a sea, and these things are big. I mean, you know, I'm six foot tall, and and it was to think that they've got these, I suppose, robots flying around doing policing now is kind of freaky. Well, to be fair, I mean, the cops have been eating a lot of donuts, so you don't want to exert themselves too much over there. So, if they can sit at their desk at the office and send their drone out, then it's a lot easier, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's very military-like. Um, obviously, being in a Boeing area where they make a lot of the prototype planes, I thought it was one of those at first. But no, so they do these drones. Um, and obviously, they can't go in high winds and stuff, but today was dead still and they had them out and about. So, yeah, an interesting thing to, to see. Now, we've, we've heard recently in the, in the uh, media uh, about some other robots, and this is in uh, South Korea. I don't know if you guys have come across this yet, but... Um, they're they're looking to implement robot prison guards in South Korea. <laughs> I read about this. Yes. Why? I I think this is this is a great idea. I really. I mean, it it does bring us closer to that sort of RoboCop and uh, you know so on type uh, type world, doesn't it? Dead or alive, you're coming with me. So yeah, <laughs> apparently they're spending um, about I think eight hundred and um, eight hundred and sixty thousand um, US dollars on uh, on this trial, where they're going to have these robots sort of just doing you know patrols, and you know we've heard of similar types of things in malls and, and whatnot being security guards for after hours that'll just you know wander around after hours with a little camera and some sensors to. You know, track if there are any issues, and if there is, then they just they let a real person know. But uh, I guess it's a step in the direction of uh, more and more being uh, um, handed over to our electronic friends. <laughs> the first I, thing I thought of when you're talking about them going around scanning was a Roomba vac going down the corridor of a prison. <laughs> that's right. You probably could hack one of those uh, one of those vacuum cleaner robots to do a few more things. I mean, a lot of those types of devices are going to have a little webcam in them and so on so they can you know check that they're not hitting into the wall so they could have a look and uh, and um, see whether Johnny Dangerous in the corner is uh, you know is, is trying to bust out of his cell or something <laughs> anyway enough on uh, enough on uh, robotics for this episode because I'll get told off if uh, if if we discuss um, too many uh, robotic topics back to uh, back to Brad's <laughs> activities uh in the US so what what have been your other other highlights over the, over the last few days maybe you can tell us a little bit about the um the gadgets that you chose to uh to order and some of the sales and so on yeah so i mean as i mentioned i've got one of the kindle fires and so far it 
I don't see what all the reviews are going on about. This thing is absolutely stunning. Um, it's Guess what? It's not an iPad. And it, you use it as a book reader and to listen to movies and, or listen and watch movies. And, and it's just divine. It's really, really good. So, um, so why, really why good- have the reviews been slating it? Is it that they're expecting this uh, $200 US device to, to offer all the features and slickness of a 500 plus US um, iPad or what, you know, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, look, I mean, they are. I, I was even reading some of the people today, and they were like, "Oh, you know, I want to be able to, you know, have an email client and all the Facebook apps, and I want to be able to sit there and have." It's it's not for that. It, it, Kindle is a reader, and and it just happens to be a color reader that allows you to watch movies, and you get almost eight hours battery life. That that's the reality of what it is, and the audio on it's fantastic. It, it's not there to compete against an iPad. If you want something that has the um, has a really big app store and all that, then then get an iPad. Save up the extra money. But um, this thing is just a really really good book reader and movie watcher. Okay. Okay. Really good. Um, probably the other thing thing that I I, I do believe I'm going to be putting in for my gadget of the year will be the new Squeeze Box radio um, system that that's over here. Um, I'd never. I'd read a little bit about them, and um, one of the gentlemen I happened to be out with, or one of the sales, we went in and just saw this thing, and this thing is just fantastic. Um, it allows you to get your internet radio stations all through it, seventeen thousand, but it's also got an app store built in, and it allows you to pull in third, all these apps. From, I think there's about two or three thousand apps already out there, um, but I mean, you're talking everything from Spotify to Pandora. But what what it also does is it has a full cloud and full um, full iTunes and Zoom clients and Windows Phone Seven, Android and iPhone and iPad clients, which allows you to manage this thing from anywhere in the world. Um, and this thing is just I'll bring it into the studio next week, but it's honestly, it is is it a beautiful piece of technology, and it means you can get access to pretty much anything you want, and you can daisy chain them. So in a house, you can actually stream them from one device to another. So very, very cool piece of technology. Um, probably one of the other ones besides the Roku is I've got these Wi-Fi web cameras, which used to be about two or three hundred dollars. You can pick them up for forty nine ninety five at the moment. But this thing comes with um, really nice software which allows you to manage up to thirty two devices and plugs into your media center. So it means so I can flick over on my media center and see what my children are doing upstairs in their rooms and stuff like that. So these I mean these things, you know, are all heavily discounted at the moment. Nice. Now what the uh, the webcam that you got uh, can you recall what um, you know? Who makes it? What's uh, what's this particular one that 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 you found? Obviously, you haven't had a chance to hook it up at home yet because you're still uh, a million miles from home. But um, uh, sort of did that last night. Actually, I oh, got really? everything working. Yeah, you've, I've, already, I've, I've, you've just, already managed to get it working yeah, in your hotel. Work. That's yeah, impressive. Thanks. That is impressive, um, Brad. So it's it's Trend, Trendsnet is the maker of the um of the camera and also the software. Um, they normally did professional systems and they've done this home ver- user version, and you can you can literally just daisy chain all these cameras. So, um, me and one of the other teams that I'm over here visiting at the moment, um, we got it all working at his place last night. So that was very very cool. And yeah, it's a very nice piece of software. It's one-way microphone, so I can't talk back, but I can hear everything. It's got Zoom and everything. And for forty nine ninety five, it's yeah, that was down by twenty bucks in the in the sales. So that was pretty cool. Now, actually, one one final thing that I, I got, which I from a I suppose Skip and I were talking about because for more from the gaming side, is I got those Kinect goggles that you put on your Kinect to, sh- to shorten the throw of your Kinect. Oh, now, I've, seen, I, I've seen that here. The warehouse is selling them. 
Yeah, well, I hadn't. They, these are the original ones where the patent, the French ones, where the patents are still pending. There's a Japanese version that I think is the one we've got in New Zealand, but the French ones are only apparently. This is what I was reading online. I only re- or on New Egg actually. I only released over here, and this one sh- shortens the throw distance. Like where one person on the current Connect, you can play two people. And it's really, really good for small rooms. So I, I'll be testing that out when I get home. Now that was only six ninety five. Um, so if it works, I might be getting a few more in for the different devices I've got in my house. Mm, that's a, that sounds that sounds great because that is, I think, one of the complaints that uh, uh, yeah some people have experienced around Connect is just that you do have to have a big space to use it. So uh, if you can improve that for a fairly low cost, that would be uh, that would be super cool. Yeah, and obviously I've got all the Roku's here, which will be there's three different brands, and I've got a few of those, so we'll be testing those out when we get back to New Zealand as well. Yeah, because there's um, there's a whole range of models now, right? From uh, yep. from around you know fifty or sixty US up to up to about a hundred uh, US, including the um, uh, the top one, which has got that uh, Wiimote sort of style uh, gaming controller with it. So yeah, that that's actually on sale in the, uh, for seventy eight ninety five at the moment. Oh man, that's a bargain. Yeah, I know. It's, it's quite good. So um, yeah, there, there are some really good bargains over here. And I mean, the other thing that's over here as well is the amount of phones, whether you're an Android or, or Windows phone, there is just a lot of phones over here on these ne- on the different networks. I mean, it, it, there's just, yeah, the choice is just, there's just so much choice over here at the moment for everything that's going around. Nice. So when will you be back for the next show? Oh, yeah, uh, I'll be back in New Zealand on Saturday, so I'll be setting up all the toys Saturday at about 10 a.m., so if you want to, guys want to come over, you're more than welcome. Excellent, excellent. All right, uh, we're, that invite goes out to all the listeners. Thank you for that, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll Brad. Uh, we'll see you at Brad's place. Now, if you're living in South Auckland and your power dims, it's just that Brad's plugged everything <laughs> in, all right? So just be clear of that one. <laughs> I'm charging everything up. But look, it's, it's amazing just how different the media is over here. And I was talking to Skip off here is that, the, I one of the things I, I just astounds me every time I come to the US is that the perceptions that we have in New Zealand, how vastly different the way the media portrays things over here. So just to give you an idea, on, on the main news over here, I mean, this will be where they're talking about Wall Street and NASDAQ and everything. So this is, you know, your, your, your business channels. They refer to Google as Skynet on, on all <laughs> things. And, and, and they, the perception is, is Google is evil. It's Amazon that is the golden child over here. And um, it, it's a very just different. It's amazing how big and powerful Amazon really is in this part of the world. It, it's, it's like a combination of Netflix, Apple, and I'm just trying to give some companies that we've talked about, and Trade Me in New Zealand all combined. It's that little sort of perception. It does everything over here. Yeah, people seem to really love it. I mean, I've come across people that are ordering sort of their grocery items yep. through Amazon. You know, they sign up for their um, for the free shipping type deal and, and any of the, the, the uh, you know, things you might buy from a supermarket that they can buy through Amazon, they'll just order them through Amazon because it's free for them to be shipped out. And, uh, you know, and away they go. So... Um, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. It's it's almost that sort of one place that you can get, you know, everything that you, you know, that you need to do without actually walking out of your front door. Even have you come across people that are using it to that extent? I mean, what what's the? Oh yeah, yeah. Really? The, the guys, the guys that are with last night, they had all their Amazon um, bags there. 
Um, they do Amazon groceries. They do all their books. They don't have any. They don't have. Um, they have the normal what we'd call f- their their free view over here is eighty channels. Um, um but they use um, Amazon. Um, oh, what's the service? Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. Yeah. Yep, which they watch all their movies across Amazon Prime. Um, it, it, they buy, they don't buy books. Everything's Amazon books. Um, they've now got the. It's just it's Amazon's everything. It's just it's a very different world that we just don't have those range of services down in our part of the world. Well, hopefully, as our uh, broadband increases, um, <laughs> we'll we'll start getting a few more of these uh, these services. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see. What I'm curious about, you know, in the US, you, you, there was there was a big Sort of well, there've been you know things over the years of people complaining about Walmart, which is you know the big uh, retailer that's come into all these towns, knocked out the smaller stores. I wonder over time whether people are going to be complaining about you know Amazon coming in and and taking over from uh, from existing retailers. I mean, it sounds like it's sort of heading in that direction. Well, it's interesting over here. Um, the Amazon got taken to court when it first started advertising all the coupons that were available for Black Friday because all the stores thought that Amazon was taking its business. So Amazon would say, well, um, Joe Bloggs clothing store has got this on. Here's the voucher. Print the voucher off and go to the clothing stores. And it's just been had to change the perception over here that online now is just this amazing the massive, powerful shopping beast that that most of the stores now are just they live and die by their online online trading over here. So, I mean, you meant you mentioned stores like uh, Fry's and Best Buy that you went to. Have you mm. got any indication what sort of percentage of their sales now are being driven online? I know some of them have got an online, and you can go and collect from the store. Uh, I know Amazon now are moving to a new model where. Uh, maybe you're not home when the courier comes by, so they're setting up little collection boxes at the, um, uh, you know, the local sort of twenty-four hour dairy, the sort of Seven Eleven type uh, stores where uh, you'll turn up, you'll press your code in, and you, it'll open a door, and your goods will have been delivered to that uh, uh, to that box. I mean, it does seem that this this whole you know uh, online ordering just you know is increasing in every direction. Yeah, no, I, I, for some reason, I thought you might ask me that sort of things. I know what you're like. And I actually read the article. I've actually got the article here. They did $262 million on Black Friday, and over $167 million of that was done online. Wow. So okay. Just, that's that's so a pretty big percentage. Massive then. amount. Yeah, I don't know what fries in that is, but they were just saying it's up by $65 million from last year as well, which is a big increase. So they're all quite happy over here. And I think the stock market went like up like crazy today because of the results were coming out. I don't know what Cyber Monday results look like at the moment because obviously it's Monday here and all the shops close at 10 p.m. my time, which is in about four minutes. Ah, interesting. Okay. Wow. So that, yeah, I did know, I did actually notice that, that there did seem to be a surge across a lot of uh, a lot of stocks uh, in the US today, and some of those were I mean, one of the ones I looked at jumped six uh, percent in in one day. So uh, yeah, whether that were, I mean, how much of that was off the back of uh, those sales, I don't know, but uh, that's a that's a unusually large uh, jump. It's a huge jump. Uh, I- I know the I know the one you're talking about, and that's Amazon. And the reason is is that Amazon have just upped their pre-Christmas sales numbers for the Kindle Fire from four million units to six million units. Wow. That's in 
So this thing launched two weeks ago, and by the 25th of December, they reckon they'll have shipped out, not put in stock, but shipped out 6 million units. Yeah, that that's fairly substantial. Yeah, you're right. It was it was at the Amazon was the one that I was looking at the six yeah. percent, and some of the other ones were in were in the sort of three, four, and five percent. Just, just remember, guys, um, Apple in its last quarter did ten million iPads in its last quarter. This thing will do six million units in about a month. It's for the tablet market's huge. It's not a dig at Apple. It's just that the market's just exploding at the moment. That's great. That's a good. That's a good thing. So now, what do we know about Kindle Fire and its availability in New Zealand? At this stage, they haven't announced any international availability, is that correct? That's correct, yep. It's only in America, I think, at this point in time, and maybe Canada as well. Okay, okay. So I there, could be wrong. There, there will certainly be probably those popping up on Trade Me from people that are uh, importing them, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, in the next yeah, little I while. I won't be selling my one, I can tell you that much. Oh, come um, on. Yeah. Hey, just one, one other thing for you guys. The biggest bit of news over here is not the sales. It's this whole concept around that the government over here may be changing the way that they handle piracy in the United States. There's a bill going before the U.S. Senate where they're trying to block um, all the piracy that's going on. And one of the ways that, or the way that they're proposing they do that is any hosters or ISPs that find illegal content or get reported illegal content, they want those websites' DNS entries removed from the servers, which will then obviously replicate up to the what they call the root DNS servers or, or the, the beginning of the internet, if you like, for doing web lookups. And what that would mean is that you know, it's not just um, illegal movies, it's any content. So any wording, anything around that's illegal, that they're, they're saying that they could actually they'll be removed. And what that would mean is that America would actually have a different version, if you like, of the internet, much like China has a different flavour of the internet with all the filtering it does. And it's really causing some um, major, major um, disruptions, if you like, over here. Okay, so um, what you're saying is that if I'm hosting a site in Norway called WikiLeaks <laughs> and somewhere in the state says let's block that site they're going to get ISPs to null route that domain name is that right correct only in the US though right okay so it's it's not just related to sites that are hosted in the states it's actually just a global DNS thing that they'll correct. look at doing yeah so they're basically going to filter out the rest of the world that they perceive that has either content, direct links, or any material relating to like pirate. It's all around pirating of um, intellectual property. Now, I'm going to tell you that I think this is a really bad idea. On one case, Pakistan did this. They actually did DNS null routing for YouTube.com and ended up accidentally replicating that DNS record globally. YouTube disappeared for a period of about 12 hours when they realised, hang on a sec, all our records have disappeared. It's because some engineer in Pakistan accidentally broadcast that change globally. So Oops. I think we're going to really start getting into some problems here with this sort of concept. This is on the news everywhere over here at the moment. So as, as it goes through, but I thought you'd guys find that really, I mean, it's such a massive change in the culture. And this has actually got past the, the first reading in the Senate as it was on TV about an hour ago. Yeah, they do do some odd things in the US. Um, you know, we we I don't think we can debate that one. So, and this sounds like like one of those, yeah, only in America type things. But um, of course, it's not, and we've got oddities in in other parts of the world. So, but the problem with um, only in America stuff is that uh, Australia and New Zealand tend to follow suit. 
So if this passes in America, I would not be surprised if we start seeing this appearing on the radar in the next couple of years down here as well. Mm, mm. Now, um, just jumping back to a, uh, a local topic, uh, last week we had the ITEX conference here in, in Auckland, which is the, um, the IT uh, conference for the IT industry here in NZ, um, which drew, I'm not sure what the actual uh, numbers were, somewhere between uh, probably 500 to, uh, to 1,000 people. Uh, interesting event. Now, one of the, um, or the, the main keynote speaker um, was Vice President of Product Innovation at Netflix, uh, Brent Avery, and uh, he had some interesting bits and pieces to, uh, to say about Netflix, but I guess the, uh, the big one that a lot of the media jumped on was his comment that, that Netflix isn't likely to be coming to New Zealand soon. Bit of a bummer, but it's I think no big I, surprise. To I be don't think that's actually a surprise that Netflix would have an official uh, New Zealand, you know, product anywhere in the pipeline. I mean, first up, they're not likely to tell us if it was six or twelve months out. They probably wouldn't say anything anyway. And um, you know, we know that until the uh, ultra fast broadband uh, networks uh, roll out here locally. Uh, that you know, there are obviously bandwidth issues and other issues, and and of course you've got licensing issues because it's quite hard to actually cut these uh, the sort of deals that are required to get a Netflix type service up and running, uh, particularly with the strength of the the current um, broadcast arrangements that are in New Zealand between Sky, uh, you know, TV3 and and uh, TVNZ and so on. So um, I don't think there's probably a lot of room for it. Well, what are your thoughts, Skip? You've, you've you with your broadcasters hat on. I um I think the big fight's going to be with Sky. I mean, Sky's going to be the platform that delivers good television content, possibly even movie content, on demand to Kiwis, purely because, as you say, of their um, uh, agreements for the region. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a it is a bit of a tricky one because you know we really do need content to make ultra fast broadband um, a viable platform. In terms of yes, we'll have fast broadband, but what will we do with it? I mean, your web page is loading only a, a second quicker. Um, you know, big whoops. But the 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 big fat content, the video on demand stuff, is going to be where it's going to get consumed a lot. And um, yeah, I just uh, I think it, it's a bit tricky because. They can't roll out anything now because there's nothing to roll out to, and DSL is rubbish. Um, and the um, uh, they're probably going to have to wait till I'd say post 2015, beyond 2015, before they start getting into the space here. That's my pick anyway. They want to make sure that they've got a certain amount of population that has capacity to get the video. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you, but I think the one thing Netflix has got to be very conscious of is that with services like um, the PlayStation Network, the Xbox Live Network, the Amazon Prime services, um, we've got Zoom Marketplace now in Australia, for instance, They, whilst our broadband may not be the best, it, they're going to have to start thinking about getting some of those services down there. I mean, areas like Wellington now have very good broadband because um, they're on the, Paul, refresh my memory, the cable platform is City Link. Thank you. Um, and, and you know, people can start piggybacking off those high speed broadband networks down there. So I hundred percent agree. I think it's a really sad state of the country that we can't even get a, a basic service that streams across the internet, but it will be two thousand and fifteen, maybe beyond before they even look at us as a viable market. Yep. No well, um yeah, I'm not sure I, I entirely 
agree with all of those things because I, you know, I'm already getting reasonable video at home via the US, so it's even at a slower speed than what my connection's capable of. So I don't necessarily agree with all of those points, but I think, um, yeah, it's. It, I mean, there there are definitely you know some barriers, some of which will vary from customer to customer in terms of um, yeah, how how viable these things are. But I, I guess the reality is. Providers need to know that a lot of customers are going to come on board with any service if they're going to bother to roll it out, and maybe it is just too soon to do that. Okay, um, now so yeah, so that was that was probably um, the highlight from uh, the iTech show, but that will no doubt uh, be swinging around again next year. Um, other little news uh, tip relating to New Zealand is Telstra Clear are switching off their. Um, their data meters this weekend. So if you've got a Telstra Clear connection at home, there oh, one, wow. of, one of two things may happen this weekend. One, you may be able to download as much as you want without it going against your normal usage. But uh, the flip three strikes law, three but, strikes law, three strikes law. But the the flip side, the flip side <laughs> of how much you download um, is that if everybody's downloading lots of stuff over their Telstra Clear links. Uh, your your Telstra speed may slow down, and in some regions where where you're going to have um, uh, issues with the performance from your um, you know from from your uh, local uh, cabinet or um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Skip exchange. Uh, then, then every everybody's internet and everybody's internet may even slow down. Does that does that sound like a possibility, Skip? I uh, why are they doing this? Are they just- th- they're doing it to promote. This is my impression: is Telstra Clear are doing it um, to promote that there are a number of websites now that Telstra Clear don't meter, so they are no longer metering traffic to, for instance, TV three. Uh, the Zoom service that we've talked about on the show a few times recently, and a few others. TV3 and the Zoom service are probably the main ones from my perspective because it's video content, and that can burn through a lot of bandwidth. So I think that's good that Telstra Clear are offering those things unmetered. Uh, but yeah, there's a potential for their their uh, promo weekend to be turn um, awful to, on them to, to um, yeah to to blow up in in their faces. But exactly, um, I mean, let, that- let, let, let let's hope it doesn't. And maybe we shouldn't have mentioned it because that just helps spread the word uh, uh, further and and creates the potential for more of an issue. No, I mean it's going to. I think it's going to blow up in their face. I mean, people are going to torrent. It's as simple as that. If they're unmetered, they're going to fire up the torrents. They're going to go for the well, I haven't got a meter a notice yet, so I'll go for my first strike. And I'm going to torrent this thing to death. And they'll just leave it going, and it'll churn through data, and it's not going to cost them anything. And the downside is everyone's going to have a bad experience on Telstra Clear. I would love to be proved wrong, but I, I doubt I could find an ISP that could actually give all its customers unmetered weekend data and not see the whole lot fall over. Oh, well, we will see this weekend. I'm going to be in Christchurch and I'm going to be on a Telstra Clear cable connection, so I will report back and uh, let you know what the speeds are like. I will eat a hat if it works fine. That hat would be made of chocolate cake, of course, but I'd eat a hat. (laughs) All right, thank you for that. Hey, thanks everyone for listening in. A special thank you to Brad for uh, joining us from Seattle. Uh, We will leave it at that for this week on the NZ Tech Podcast. Please join us online, nztechpodcast.com, facebook.com slash nztechpodcast. Our Twitter handle is nztechpodcast. 
And you can also email us, feedback at nztechpodcast.com. So thank you very much, everyone. Ciao for now. We will catch you next week on the NZ Tech Podcast. 